Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hey, good morning, you guys. Welcome. So, hey, I have a very special treat for you this morning. I hope your uh, excitement is just sky high right now. <laughs> it should be. Um, so uh, I'm going to invite my friend Barney Wiggett to come up. And yeah, many of you have probably met Barney just um, kind of uh, here and on the patio and in conversation. But probably few of you have heard him teach before. And I grew up hearing him teach uh, all through my, I guess, my early, uh, I don't know. When I was a long time ago. Yeah, late teens, early 20s, <laughs> a long, long time ago. Uh, and uh, he's one of my favorite Bible teachers of all time, and I've learned a whole bunch from him. He's um, uh, a mentor and has become a very dear friend of mine, and so I just wanted to commend him to you. He's going to be teaching us, uh, kicking off our, um, us getting back into the Found in the Way series um, as we look at the, uh, the most famous uh, sermon of Jesus. And so, yeah, anyway, Barney Wiggett. Hey, I, while we were uh, worshiping, I just felt to real briefly uh, give you some hope for healing. I'm, this isn't what I was planning to do, but uh, could we just pray momentarily here? Um, may, may your power be present to heal somebody today, physically, I'm thinking, or maybe emotionally too, but we know you as Savior and as King and as soon coming King and as Redeemer and Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. We know you as Healer as well. So would you give hope to somebody uh, that is struggling and not only hope, but healing right now, right now in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks. is that it's, it's not gaudy, it's just simple. I, I particularly like the skate ramps. Um, but I, it's not extravagant, have you noticed? Yeah. It's simple, I, I like that, I've always liked that. Um, when we were uh, planting a church here in 1980 and the church burgeoned and we needed a place to meet and we found this old theater built in 1948 and uh, this was in 1986 that we came and uh, you know it was something else it was a theater to begin with right you know it was another kind of theater before you know that it was a porn theater for a while in the 70s I wasn't here in well I definitely wasn't here (laughs) but I wasn't in town then and uh, well, how stupid is that? Having a right next to a high school, and uh, so when people would come in, sometimes you know, and and look around and go, wow, you know, I I, I watch movies in here, and I go, really, what'd you watch in here? And then when they were looking at their shoes and and their watch, oh gosh, I gotta go, you know, I knew what era that they came, but there was a there were other folks 
that came and said, you know, we marched around this place and claimed it for God. Uh, and then we were the beneficiaries of their prayers. How cool is that? Um, you know, it took a little bit. We, were, we had some modifications to make. One thing, there was a, a huge disco ball in the ceiling right in the middle. Eh, okay. But the, the other thing was there was a huge sheet metal pentagram uh, in, hanging in the, in the ceiling. You know, that had to go. We had to do, that wasn't going to work for us. And then we made some classrooms and all that stuff and, and fixed the roof. And, um, but that we bought, that we were able to buy it was a miracle. We were just, we didn't have a lot, just a bunch of young people and, and uh, simple folk. But you know what? Church building is just a building. I never called this the church. I just said, it's the building. I'll meet you at the building. And we're in, the, we're in a church building. Uh, it's just a shed for sheep. It's for, for us to hang out with each other and encounter God. And, and we've been doing that for many years, and I'm so glad to, to be back here. Um, you know, I'm not saying that it's bad or sinful for churches to, you know, have big properties and, and a lot of glitz and glamour. Um, but um, if they don't, if all the money they spent uh, on that and didn't help the poor, didn't help the vulnerable, that's where I just draw the line. That's not cool. Because Jesus, uh, well, we'll talk about it in a minute, uh, not only commands us but model for us a, a life of generosity. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you do have a Bible, if you want to look at... Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 is what we're going to be looking at here. Like Chris said, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, the greatest sermon. You know, uh, one time uh, many, many years ago, I just got up and I said, hey, I'm can I read to you the best sermon ever preached, you know? And, and uh, so I started reading, you know, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They, got, they caught on about the third beatitude, you know, that he's just going to read to us a sermon on the mount. And I just read it. And then we finished. And I said, amen, let's go home. And let's live this. Let's try to live this. Um, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, when they asked him, when reporters asked him, what was the key that brought peace uh, between the British and the Indians? He said it was implementing the principles that he found in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he read portions of the Sermon on the Mount, Gandhi did, every day for 40 years, the last 40 years of his life. And he wasn't even, a, didn't identify as a Christian. I mean, he said he liked Jesus a lot, but he didn't really like people that followed him that much. And it's mostly, I think, because he, they, they weren't the people that he was around, the Christians that he was around didn't act like, like Christians at all. Um, but uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, and I, I'm really glad. So earlier in the year, uh, Chris and Tim and Danny preached on, uh, taught on the Chapter 5, and I'm really glad they covered that, uh, you know, the 
subjects of anger and lust and divorce and oaths and loving enemies and nonviolent resistance. I'm really glad they (laughs) covered that. Uh, I I mean, I wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, and the chapter five still scares me. I'm still, you know, you know, very anxious about uh, some of that stuff. Um, But we're going to talk about generosity out of uh, Matthew chapter six, and the the mandate and the motive. That's it. The mandate and the motive of generosity. so let's, let's take a look here. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Could you say that with me? In front of others to be seen by them. Because if you do, you'll have no reward. You know, if you've got a Bible there, just underline reward. It's going to show up three times. You'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And when you give to the needy, When you give to the needy, let's say that. When you give to the needy, ah, let's say it again. When you give to the needy, uh, don't announce it with trumpets. Don't bring a trumpet and say, you know, I did something great. Everybody gather and see how cool I am. And as as the hypocrites do, we, you know, don't be a hypocrite. Can I just say that? Just don't be a hypocrite. I mean, we're all, we all fall short, but that's different than hypocrisy. That's just pretenders, you know, posers. Don't be a hypocrite. We, we, we have enough of those. Uh, uh, don't, be, uh, don't be like the hypocrites do in the synagogues. That's Jewish uh, churches. And on the streets to be honored by other people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. That's the second time. And their reward is in full. But when you give to the needy, that's the second time he says that, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So, so Chris and I were talking and, about this, and, and he said something that I thought was very good and profound. He said, how would it impact our community, I don't mean the church, but the whole community of Santa Cruz County, if we were a shockingly generous church who doesn't care if we get the credit, what, how would that be? I mean, what, what kind of impact would be? I know of a group of churches in the Northwest that have started this thing called the Advent Conspiracy. Anybody heard of the Advent? Isn't that cool, Poppy? I mean, everybody should look up the Advent Conspiracy online because here's their, their, their four kind of uh, initiatives. Worship fully, spend less. Okay, first of all, I didn't tell you. This is about Christmas season. So they, these group of churches, they do this at, during the Christmas season every year. Worship fully, spend less. Everybody say spend less. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, give more. Give more. And live and love all. Let me say it again. Worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. Simply stated, put Jesus first and be generous with those who need it the most. They major on generosity during the season, not to just give their kids gifts, but to, to help the world. So the big idea that we're after in today is the way of Jesus, 
leads us to authentic generosity. So let's talk about the mandate first, the mandate. He says twice, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy. He doesn't say if. I mean, does there seem to, is there any wiggle room there? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm going, I don't see any way out of that. Uh, it, a few verses later, he says, uh, you can't serve God and money. You can't. I mean, not that you shouldn't, but you can't. One of them is going to take your life. If you serve God, uh, God he'll, take, he'll take your life and make it better. If you serve money, it'll take your life and, and it won't make you better. When you give, it's not an elective. I think a lot of times we, when people ask, well, what do Christians do? We name all these personal moral things, and that's right. I mean, you know, all the things that we should do and shouldn't do. But giving to the needy doesn't often show up in the list, you know. Um, when, when I was a pastor, I, uh, uh, people would come in and, and confess their struggles. Uh, not like I'm a priest and I'm going to give them absolution, but they would share their struggles with me. And uh, usually it'd be stuff like, you know, adultery or anger, alcohol abuse, you name it. But greed never, no, just never came up. That's weird, right? Nobody ever came in and said, Barney, I'm just really struggling with my greed. I want to be a more generous person. Um, in, in Luke, when he, uh, when he uh, tells the teaching of Jesus saying you can't serve God in money, he says instead of money, he uses the word mammon. Have you heard that word? Mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic term. Luke retained it in the Aramaic, I think because he's saying it's like an idol. Money is like an idol. It's like a monster. It's, it's not a friendly idol. It appears like one but at first, but then you realize it's not. Um, and you know how you, it's, it's kind of the, the idol of more, more. I have to have more. And the only way I know to starve mammon is generosity. That's the best way. Um, now, now, when I use the word mandate, that, uh, please don't. I'm not thinking about legalism. I'm not thinking about religious uh, duty. Uh, Jesus doesn't even say in this passage, do this, do, you know, uh, give to the needy. He just says, when you give, like it's an assumption. Because if he's inside you, there's a lot of stuff that changes, right? And one of the things is it, we become more generous. Um, if you haven't, or if that's not grown in you as much as you'd like or as much as you see in Scripture, pray about it. Ask Jesus to, to help you with it. But he doesn't say do it. He just says when you do it. You know, Paul said work out your own salvation, for it is God that works in you, both the desire and the power to do his will, meaning it's, it's an inside job. Jesus is a, a live-in savior. He doesn't, he's not just a set of principles, that, religious principles that we believe, but he lives inside to change us. I remember when I got saved in 1972, I walked out of that church building after weeping for an hour, and I just said to the person that brought me, I said, you know, I think he's gonna show me how to do, I'd only been in church twice. I think he's gonna show me how to do this. Because like, like I felt him inside almost, you know. I, could, I realized it wasn't just a change of, 
of, of belief, uh, propositional beliefs, but it was something changed on the inside and my life was gonna change as a result and it, and it has way gradual and it's just not even near complete, but I'm just saying it began to change that day. Because ge and generosity is one of those things that kind of percolates inside, I think, if we'll let it, unless we'll, you know, try to squelch it. Um, but we do have to re be reminded, even though it's, it's kind of a, an assumption, there's still a need for a reminder of being generous when you give to the needy. Um, so do you know that God loves everybody equally? Do you know that? He loves the rich and the poor and the black and the white and the children and, uh, and adults and uh, whatever culture. He loves everybody equally. He doesn't, he doesn't have like favorites. Um, but do you also know that he leans into the poor? Do you read that in scripture? I read that in scripture and it took me a while to, to come to that conclusion because we were focusing on all, all kind of other things, but he leans into the poor. It's, it's a, he, he, he rushes there first, like a father who has two children and two sons, and the older one is always beating up the younger one. And so who does the father, the good father, rush to the aid of, but to the one that's getting beat up, the weaker one, the younger one. And then he trains and teaches uh, his, the older brother how not to beat up his brother, but to, to protect his brother and to meet, it, you know, to help his brother. So that's, it's the, that's kind of an analogy on how God rushes uh, to the poor most, to the least and the last and the lonely and the left out and the little ones. I mean, he said, you know, you got to come to me as little children, right? Um, so I've been thinking about the way that God chose, the way that he chose to come into this world to arrive here. I mean, the Son of God could have been born in the best hospital in town with the best doctors. He could have been born, well, I mean, at least he could have, you know, given a room at the Hilton for his parents, you know, with the, you know, the mints on the, you know, on the bed, you know, the silk sheets like that. And I mean, at least that, I mean, this is the Son of God. This is the King of the universe. And how did he come? He came in, he was born in a barn. I mean, Joseph had to shovel the dirt floor before Mary could lie down on the ground and give birth to the Son of God. That's how he was born. That's, you know, I'm, I'm saying that that's not a mistake. That's a message. I mean, he's trying to tell us something about his priority and the way that he rolls. Um, I mean, his family was so poor that they didn't even have a lamb to sacrifice at his dedication. I mean, he grew up in a one-horse town, maybe two horses, but not, not a nice place. Nobody liked Nazareth. Even the Nazarenes didn't like Nazareth, I don't think. He was a homeless, vagabond preacher. Uh, he had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem at his coronation. He had to borrow an upper room uh, to have his last meal and a, and a, and a, and a tomb to be buried in. Uh, that's not an accident. This is a sign. I think he's telling us something. I know that we make Christmas about something. It's not Christmas time, I know, but, you know, we make it about something else, and, it, and it's good, it's fine to have your trees and all that stuff, but I'm just saying how he came 
is a message. He's trying to tell, everything God does is a message. He's trying to tell us something. Um, and and, and uh, the Christian life, let, let me say this. Somebody told me this a long time ago. The Christian life is the life Jesus lived then, lived now by him in us. It's his life that he lived then, lived now by him in us. <clears throat> I, you don't know me very well, but uh, I preach longer in silence. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm much quicker if I hear like, whoa, or what, or wow, or amen, or something. Just say something. I know you're out there. I, these lights are, okay? Just help me out here. I'm a little rusty on this thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have a friend in San Francisco who pastors a church that decided to do an experiment. Uh, they called it Have Two, Give One. And uh, they wanted to, to experience radical generosity. And so what they did was they decided to sell or give away half of their possessions in categories for, uh, to give the money to uh, relieve global poverty. And so uh, he says, you know, our goal wasn't to be legalistic about this, but what we wanted to do was to, it was to experience generosity in a free and happy way. And so each week they decided what possessions, what category of possessions. One week uh, it would be uh, uh, music and books. And so they would give away or sell half of their, I mean, you know, everybody that decided to do this, they weren't mandating it, but it was their, their choice to do it. And another week it would be uh, uh, clothes. And another week it would be bigger things like bikes and even cars. And so sometimes they would give uh, to, uh, these things to somebody in need in the church. Uh, other times they would sell it and give the money away. But he said this, his name is Mark, and he said, it was shocking to find out how little some of our possessions were worth and disappointing that we regarded them as so precious. It blew our minds how we were so attached to these things. But when they gave them away, they realized it. And then he said, we, we experienced a joy that we didn't expect. I, 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 I'm not a fan of the being called a consumer. Uh, you know, they say American consumers, they call us consumers. I'm not really a fan of that. Like it's the 11th commandment, uh, thou shalt consume. If you're going to be an American, you got to consume stuff. Consume, is that what we're here for? <laughs> I don't think so. I used the word simple before simplicity, and uh, simplicity is when you keep your wanting low. Uh, you keep your wanting low so that you'll have more uh, to give to other people. I know I'm really, you know, I'm messing with it. They won't ask me again here. <laughs> I, uh, do you know who Dorothy Day was? She was one of my heroes. She started the Catholic worker movement and she fed and housed thousands of people during the depression in New York City. And she said this, it, uh, she said it's, there's always, cause people knocking the door is already full of people and they're, they're you know, they're eating. And she'd always say, oh, there's always room for one more. Everyone just takes a little less. That's simplicity where we just take a little less so that we have more to give. Uh, Doug and Winnie Keith, did you know them? How many of you knew Doug and Winnie Keith? Yeah, uh, another couple heroes of mine. They were in our church in the 80s and uh, 
older couple. And Doug had a little uh, fix-it business, and Winnie had a little uh, supplement uh, and, uh, you know, business with uh, supplements. And, and they lived really simply, and I was concerned about them one day, and I just said, All right, Doug, are you guys making enough money? Because I knew their businesses weren't, like, big, you know. Are you making enough money, you know, to, to be here? And, and he said, well, yeah, we don't have the, those businesses uh, to pay our bills, we just do them to give money to missionaries. They got all the money to the missionaries. I said, oh, okay, that's, that's what I expected. Uh, I have two friends who decided decades ago, like 40, 50 years ago, to live at or below the poverty level and give the rest of their money away. I mean, this is gnarly. I understand this is, you know, I'm not saying you, you, we all got to do that, but I'm just saying uh, it, it, what, what both of these uh, people, the, the, in the male in this case, amazing Bible teacher, one of them, and the other one is a seminary professor uh, and just brilliant, has PhDs and stuff like that. They just give most, they give their money away if they make more than the poverty level. Okay, now that you're sufficiently uh, <laughs> condemned, uh, can we talk about the motive here before we leave off? Did, let's see that passage again. And do you see, don't do it in front of others. So that, that's the wrong motive. Don't do it, uh, you know, for their reward. Don't bring a trumpet. Uh, don't even do it for a reward. Uh, you know, leave your trumpets at home. Uh, there is a trumpet. <laughs> we'll, we'll let whoever's going to blow that trumpet, then, you know, when Jesus comes out. I don't know about that, but... We're not supposed to blow the trumpets. There's a, an old uh, mythical story about an angel that comes to a, a man and says, uh, I'll give you one wish, whatever you want, you can have it. And he said, well, I want to do great things for God and not know it. That's the, not the left hand not knowing the right hand. I, 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 I don't even aspire to get that kind of uh, to that kind of level of sanctification not know it I want to at least know it so I can you know, go home and feel good about myself but he doesn't even want to know it and Lamott says do some anonymous things for lonely people today yeah um, it's not like we're supposed to hide uh, the good works because later in the chapter or I should say earlier in chapter 5 he says uh, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So that's the key. It's not so much that we have to hide, but who gets the glory? Who gets the credit for whatever good works, you know, that we do? You've heard God loves a cheerful giver? God loves a cheerful giver. I think, I, I think we, I, I've had that kind of backwards. Maybe you've understood it all along, but I, I thought it meant I have to be cheerful before I give, but I think it might mean there's cheer in the giving. I, you know, I, I don't want to wait be, until I'm cheerful to give something. I just can't wait to give that away. But it's more of a cheerfulness in the giving and following and go, wow, I'm free of that, that money or that thing, you know. Um, so we're not supposed to do stuff for the cheers of people. <clears throat> I've never really liked the, the, the defensive back, the intercepted pass, 
and ran for a touchdown and does this victory jig in the, uh, in the end zone. I don't know, you know, what's that about? And they all have their own deal. Well, don't do a victory jig every time you do something good for God because we're not supposed to be spiritual show-offs. Uh, some people just, if you can't do good, you know, at least look good uh, while you're doing whatever you're doing. Um, you know, Jesus said this, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we're unworthy servants and we've only done that which is our duty. Um, I have a lot of mixture in my heart too. We all have mixture. And that's why if I, I learned this, if I wait, thank God I learned this a long time ago. If I wait to have perfect motives before I do something, I'll never do anything because my motives are never fully perfect. I like likes on social media as much as the next guy, probably more than the next guy. I'm just saying, I, I, don't, I can't wait for them to be perfect, but maybe in the doing, I'll learn uh, to be better. One guy prayed in Luke 18, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Remember this one? And I fast twice a week and, and I give a tenth of all I get. And then the guy next to him, he's beating his chest. He doesn't even look in the face of God. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. Greek text is the sinner. English translations don't do that because it's just so clunky, I guess. But the sinner, in other words, he wasn't even worried about anybody else being the sinner. He knew he was the sinner and he wasn't comparing himself to other people. Rewards shows up three times here in this, in this speech of Jesus. They have the reward in full. That's all they're going to get. The applause of people, that's all they're going to get. Um, but what, what is the reward? Is there a re reward and what is it? I, that's the wrong question. It's a, not a what, it's a It's a who. We get God. We get God. The pleasure of God. I mean, that's the motive right there. To Abraham, check this out. God said, I am your shield and your very great reward. I am your reward, God says. I'm the reward. I'm not looking for golden streets and clouds and harps. I'm looking for God here and now and in the next life. I am. So, so again, Chris ask the question, how would it impact our community if we were a shockingly generous church and that didn't care if anybody knew it? Mother Teresa said, it's fashionable to talk about the poor, but not so fashionable to talk to the poor. I mean, we know about poverty, but a lot of us don't know any poor people. You know, it's the guy under the bridge or the woman who lives down the street in that shack or whatever. Well, she has a name. He's got a name. Get to know the name. Ask God. I, I encourage you. I encourage you. I, it, along with me, I encourage us. Ask God every day 
in the morning to show you one way you can be generous towards somebody today. Amen? It starts, though, even before that. Before you give anything away, give your heart. Give your heart to God. That's what he said. Give me your heart. Will you, I don't want to be pushy, but will you, be, will you give your heart today to God? Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the thousandth time. Because I try to give my heart to God every day. I, I fail and give him pieces and all that. So we're not perfect, but it's a daily thing. But if you haven't ever given your heart to God, will you give your heart to him today? We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.